0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like Forge FX help students
1: master their skills.
2: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact
1: muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live from Sirius HQ in New York City today. A little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by a couple we first had on and absolutely loved last year. In the world of Hollywood, these guys are a breath of fresh air. But we begin with politics. President Biden is... Back from his month long vacation. It's okay. He's only president. I'm sure you all take a month long vacation too. And it's going exactly as you would expect, as he and his top spokesperson fumble their way through various media events, getting key facts wrong and flat out refusing to answer simple questions about. Hunter Biden. Um, Plus crime and environmentalist chaos on the West Coast, as we see increasing examples of people having had enough of the environmentalist nonsense on the streets, blockades of the traffic. We've got a couple of great examples, which we'll show you um, as people say we've had enough of this. Ridiculousness. Joining me now to discuss it all, VDH Victor Davis Hansen is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and author of The Dying Citizen. Victor, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks for having me, Megan.
1: Great to see you. All right. So let's just start with President Biden, who I mean, truly, he's been on vacation for a month between his time uh, at Rehoboth Beach in Delaware to the trip out west to Lake Tahoe, one little stint to Maui under pressure to actually show some sort of heart for those whose uh, lives were destroyed by this fire. It's been vacation after vacation. So now he comes back and he is asked about the Jacksonville, Florida shooting. Right. This is 1, And you tell me whether you can understand even just maybe 10 words together of what he says here. Um, what just happened uh, just as a minder for our audience. Three people were shot and killed in Jacksonville. Um, they were black. The shooter was white. He then killed himself. It was obviously a disturbed young man. I think he was 22 years old. In any event, he was asked about it. Here's what he said.
0: And so, we have to act against this hate-fuel violence. And saw so what's happening. By the way, almost five years to the day that five young Blacks were killed in Jacksonville, five years earlier, at, the, at, a, at a gun — not a gun shop, a, a store there doing um, kids' toys. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but now, and we have to speak out that uh, there's a whole — group of extreme people trying to erase history, trying to walk away from it. I mean, the idea that we're sitting here, I never thought that I'd be president, let alone be president, and having a discussion on why books are being banned in, in American schools. And, you know, as administration, we're going to continue to march forward to the job and the freedom that uh, we've worked so hard for. What? What?
1: I mean, as Archie Bunker used to say, "Huh, <laughs> Victor." So we actually tried to translate it, and my team thinks he's referring um, with that muddled statement to something that that did happen back in August of 2018. There was a shooting. Uh, at the Jacksonville Landing, a gunman opened fire at a video game tournament at the Chicago Pizza Restaurant targeting rival gamers. Not at a gun shop, not at a store, nothing to do with kids' toys. Two were killed, not five, which is what he seems to be suggesting there. Eleven were hurt. One uh, victim was black, one was white. Not five young blacks, as he says there. Uh, We could keep going. So what I did manage to discern was 100% counterfactual, to be charitable in my own terminology, and the rest of it, I couldn't make heads or tails of.
3: Yeah. Well, you know what? He's failing at a geometric, not arithmetic rate. And I think what I mean by that is each week, it's not just seven days worse, it's 21 days worse. And there's three things going on with him. One is I don't know if it's congestive heart i'm not a doctor obviously you shouldn't even be speculating but he he slurs his words so his delivery is incomprehensible and that's separate from the cognitive problems where he rambles or he can't read off a teleprompter or he goes into wild thing but the third is even more disturbing and that is he has lost all of the veneer or the breaks that most people have that when they have an impulse to speak then they don't speak because they have some social awareness. So whether it was, you ain't black, or you're a junkie, or a stupid question, or the out-and-out lies, you know, when he tells people who've lost children or sons in Afghanistan that his son died in Iraq. But just just in that context, he said also, as I remember, because I watched the clip, that he talked Strom Thurmond into voting for the Civil Rights Act. Well, that has to refer to 1964, or maybe the Fair Housing Act of 65. And Strong Thurman voted against it. And Joe Biden was, I think, 21 or 22. So he just makes things out of whole cloth. And he assumes, or his wife does, or his handlers do, that the media is so invested in the alternative to Trump or whoever the Republicans have, that they will they will make up the necessary... They'll make up the necessary adjustments, but he can't tell the truth. He never could, but now he cannot tell a scintilla of the truth. He can't deliver a speech and he's cognitively challenged. So he rambles his grammar syntax. And right. But the, the result of it is a complete mess.
1: It's very bizarre to, to listen to, to try. You, know, you you're reminded this is the leader of the free world this is the united states president who cannot speak nor can he walk he's constantly in a shuffle we've seen him fall down i mean i don't want the republicans to get overconfident because i think to some extent they're banking on people seeing this yeah. uh, and and just saying he can't do it he's not going to win but he can't do it <laughs> he's not doing it right now this is why Nikki Haley, and I'm going to get to why I'm raising this, she just tweeted out, the truth is a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for President Kamala Harris. That's what she tweeted out. And I think we all understand what she's saying. Like the odds of Joe Biden actually making it if he gets reelected through a second term are extremely slim. So she tweets that out. And then you promptly get um, people like Jamel Hill, this very racist uh, commentator, Tweeting out, part of the reason racism is such a terrible sickness in this country is because politicians like this know they can rally a certain base with the fear of, oh my God, a black woman might be president if you don't vote for me. Then we want to act all surprised when the most hateful part of the base decides they need to act out on their feelings of hatred. You see, so Nikki Haley is herself a racist because she's saying if you vote for Joe Biden reminder Kamala Harris is going to be the president.
3: Yeah. Well, the funny thing is that Kamala Harris would not be in the position she was in because she didn't she she ran for president in 2016 and she was a dismal failure. She failed to get one delegate. She had a lot of Silicon Valley money. And so she was appointed because he had announced pro forma that he was going to select a woman. And then the Black Caucus said that has to be a black woman. And he nodded. So that's why she's there. And she had a perfect opportunity. She had a favorable press. She had a president that wasn't really cognitively engaged. She could have freelanced and done wonderful things. She's been an utter failure. And it's not you or I saying that, Megan. It's the Democratic insiders. And their, their biggest fear right now is... They don't want Joe Biden to not finish this term, because that means she is going to be president. Mm. And they they think she'll destroy the party. I think she probably will. So they're going to do whatever it takes to get him across, sort of like Woodrow Wilson and Edith Wilson in 1919, when he was non-composmentes and she finished out his term. But what they're looking at in the next four years, I don't think he's going to be able to run. And I think that they're going to be pressure on him because he's going to get so embarrassing in the next 18 months that sometime in March or February, they'll do like LBJ did in 68, just he's not going to run. But that also solves the Kamala Harris problem because then they just say, we'll have an open primary and they know that she won't get another delegate, just like in the past. Mm. We've been here before, too. And, you know, in 1944, it was pretty clear that FDR around June or July, uh, even maybe March, he had blood pressure about 220 over 180. He may have had melanoma. He had chronic bladder and sinus. infection. he was just, a uh, unfortunately, a wreck. And he was not going to live uh, much longer. Probably, they thought, not even a year. But they wanted that fourth term, and they needed that Democratic White House. So they ran him but his vice president was kind of like Kamala Harris. It was Henry Wallace, who was an about nice guy, but a avowed socialist. So they got together and they said, "We got to get him off the ticket, and we've got to get somebody who's conservative and won't rival FDR, and and FDR will think he's not very important or well known, so he he won't overshadow him." So they picked Harry Truman, and of course, on April first, just a few months after the the inauguration he died and we had Truman instead of Henry Wallace and I think they're looking at something like that and they're trying to figure out how that she will not be president and their biggest problem right now is uh, and I think you and I would agree that there is a real question whether he can finish the next 18 months what you just saw is if you and I had this conversation I think we did about three months ago when we talked touched on it back then he was much more cognitively alert than he is now yeah he's declined enormously it's very tragic and uh so that that's their problem and that's why they don't uh they just talk about trump 24 7 because not only can they not talk about the biden record at the border or crime or energy or foreign policy and especially the economy and they can't talk about what they would call the walls are closing in on Joe Biden with the IRS whistleblowers or Victor Shokin or the oligarchs that have evidence or the laptop evidence or Jim Jordan subpoenaing tax document. They don't want to talk about that, but they also can't talk about his cognitive or physical health, which means if you can't talk about those three things that everybody's worried about, then you can't talk at all about anything relating to Biden. So it's 24-7, 360 degrees Donald Trump.
1: There uh, was just a. There was a piece this morning in Axios, uh, referencing back to a survey of what words come to mind when you think of Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Uh, this is a survey of 1,100 uh, adults in America, just this month. And the number one uh, cluster of words for Joe Biden by 26% was old, outdated, aging, and elderly. The next uh, most popular. At 15 percent was slow, confused, bumbling, old, outdated, aging, elderly, slow, confused, bumbling Uh, on Trump. The number one cluster of words was corrupt, criminal and crooked. Now we all know why they're saying that. But the, the Democrats have a problem. Even the people who think Trump is quote, criminal or crooked or corrupt. That's only 15 percent of all Americans. You got 26 percent on the Joe Biden old, outdated, aging elderly. This is a real problem. Even Morning Joe was lamenting this reality this morning. Uh, And so this is very interesting. You're suggesting they may have to keep him on until the spring and that that's when they'll say he's not running. Because something interesting happened in the past few days. Bernie Sanders went to New Hampshire to give a speech. Now, why was Bernie Sanders going to New Hampshire to give a speech? Bernie Sanders, unlike Kamala Harris, actually did win a couple of the primaries last time around until the party decided he he had to be stopped uh, and made sure he didn't get any further. But it does seem like the Democratic Party is starting to realize they have a serious problem of their own.
3: Yeah, I think they feel that they have a serious problem and they have the solution too. And Bernie's heard that, and they think it's Gavin Newsom, and he's saying basically to America, hey, I was here first, don't let this guy cut ahead of me. Yeah. So I'm going to, if that's what you guys in the Democratic backroom want, that you want an open primary, quote unquote open, to get rid of Kamala, then you got to pick me because I'm a, I'm ahead of the line. I've done it twice, and it's my turn. So he's he wouldn't do that, and you know that better than I do, Megan, unless he was getting Pretty good information that Joe Biden is not going to run again. But to make the next sixteen months viable, they can't tell anybody that or he'd be in a lame he'd be at the lamest of all lame ducks in our presidential history mm-hmm. if he's if we know that he's not going to run, because then all the attention would say we'll even finish his term. I I really do I'm not just trying to be partisan, but I, I do think there's 50% chance that he won't finish his term. He's once he's one trip away from oblivion. He really is. If he was to trip again off a bicycle or fall or a stairway or a stage, people with that health chat those health challenges, they they deteriorate very quickly when they break their hip or knee. And then he's one he's one remark. He's one crazy remark uh about beyond caricature. Or he could take a young, poor innocent girl and hug her uh, as he did on the Finland tarmac and start I don't know what he was doing, nippling her at her neck or something, or blowing her hair. If he does it again, I think any of those things would pretty much convince people that he can't be the president of the United States. And this is so ironic, Megan, because remember when Donald Trump said, I have a bigger button than yours? Everybody's, we got Bandy Yee, the Yale psychiatrist, and she testified before the Democratic Senate and said that we needed an intervention with a straitjacket with Trump. And then we had the pressure for the Montreal Cognitive Assessment that Monty Jackson gave Trump. And we had, I think it was Rod Rosenstein and uh, Andrew McCabe put on wires because they needed to get proof that Donald Trump was in, you know, non-compos mentis, he wasn't insane or he wasn't well. And given all of that, and we saw Mark Milley was so worried he had to call his Chinese counterpart, warn him that Trump was crazy in case there was a nuclear tension arising. But you don't all those people who did that, they're they're silent. They don't I mean, they're so hypocritical.
1: Look at this, Victor, you mentioned his weirdness with the the young women and the the girls. This is a picture of him at uh, the Elliott Hine Middle School in Washington, where he was pictured What's he doing? He's he's touching this girl's face. I mean, this girl looks, I don't know, like a young teenager and he's leaning over like there's one every month of him behaving inappropriately every month, every with a month. young female. Right. Like and or sometimes an older female. You know, we had Betsy, Betsy DeVos on the show. I know. Right. Talking know. about how he put his sweaty forehead against her forehead when she was in a wheelchair after an injury and she felt me by the guy it doesn't matter, young or old, he's inappropriate with women. And I do. He think is.
3: Remember situation- Scott, the uh Scott is it Brown, the, the Senate yeah. senator from Massachusetts that he had to I guess level an implied threat to Biden that not to touch his wife so intimately. God. And, and that he, he, I guess what we're saying is that he always did that, but now he has lost that cognitive self control that he shouldn't do it. Yes. And he's libera- liberated yes. in a very sick way.
1: There it is. There it is. So that's, I predict um, within the next 18 months, we're going to see a book from a former Biden aide talking about the nightmare that was trying to manage this story right. as, as incident after incident happened. And I think Hawaii will be. One hundred percent in there, Uh, because what happened out there really was dreadful with the, you know, not being able to pronounce anybody or say anybody's names properly, actually comparing his house fire and the potential loss of a cat and a Corvette to people's dead children. I mean, that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare for those sitting there. It's a nightmare for his aides. They see it. There's no way they don't see it, even though they wouldn't publicly right now come out and say it. So they must be in a scramble behind the scenes to figure out what the hell to do about this guy.
3: Yeah, and it's it's a burden on the Republicans. So uh, McCarthy's got a real problem as House Speaker because, by any fair measure, you would either be invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment or starting serious impeachment, but. <laughs> they don't want Kamala Harris. Half of them want half of them want Kamala Harris because it would destroy the Democratic Party. The other half said we can't go that far; it'll destroy the country. And yet they want to punish the Democrats for all the things they've done, and especially Biden's incapability. And th- they don't know what, so they've kind of got this new word, impe- impeachment inquiry. And I, I guess that's sort of loading. I don't want to use that metaphor, but loading the gun. And they don't know whether to uh, actually go through with it depending on how he acts in the next 18 months. But I don't know what I would do if I were the Republican leadership, because if you impeach him and he's conv- the Democrats might convict him and, and cut him loose, or then you've got Kamala Harris as the incumbent candidate. Oh, boy. In 2000- and so I don't know what they're going to do. I think they kind of like it right now that he's hemorrhaging. As long as he finishes this term, and then maybe they can—I I don't know what they're going to do—but they—they—they they don't know either, and that's why they have this weird term impeachment inquiry.
1: I love they, the notion. Fast, everything's
3: fast breaking, I guess.
1: I love the notion by Jamel Hill and others that this—that the objection objection to Kamala Harris is race. That's the problem. That's why Nikki Haley decided to tweet out: "Just remember, a vote for Biden is a vote." for Kamala Harris, as if the Republican Party doesn't fear Michelle Obama, that they fear her because she would be a politically formidable opponent there. They don't. They're not fearing Kamala Harris or not fearing Kamala Harris because of skin color. They think she's terrible. She's a terrible politician. And Nikki Haley is reminding people you're going to get that nincompoop in there if Joe Biden doesn't make it to the end of his term or if he gets reelected and doesn't make it to the end of the second term. She's saying you're going to get a doofus elected as president.
3: If we had this conversation 35 years ago, Republicans were very fond of Barbara Jordan. She was kind of the voice of sanity on the border, that Democratic congressman. She had beautiful diction, uh, enormous vocabulary, very capable. Everybody respected her, not because of her race, but because she was intellectually a giant. And the same thing to a lesser degree was Shirley Chisholm when she ran for president. She had a different take on the Vietnam War. I I was in everybody thought, wow, this is really good. We have these black women that are more articulate and they're sharper than a lot of white males. So that was decades ago. So this is all just nonsense. And uh, I think a lot of this, when you have all of these elite left-wing black hosts that say this, uh, I think a lot of it's projection that they themselves have real problems with race Mm -hmm. that they do judge people by their superficial uh, appearance and they believe that your skin color is essential not incidental to who you are and i think that's that explains a lot of it other than that in careerism because the longer you carp, you scream racism the more you inflate this leaking balloon of diversity equity inclusion we're getting to a point Just to get off topic i think everybody's pretty much had it with diversity equity inclusion czars and what they've been doing and the war on meritocracy so i think there's a lot of paranoia in the elite so-called marginalized community that have been beneficiaries of this
1: you know that you you speak about the democrats and the sort of projecting their own racism on the other party we skipped past what joe biden tried to do in that incoherent answer at the top where he said Uh, Speaking about the Jacksonville shooting, right, where you've got this 22-year-old crazed young man who apparently had uh, racist manifestos, one or more, back at home, but was said to have severe mental health issues and had been locked up for his mental health issues at least once in the past five, six years. Um, He says about this young man's act, we have to act against this hate-fueled violence. Okay. Okay. And this all that's happening. Then he goes into the pivot about what happened five years ago where he claims five young blacks were killed. Not true. One black person, one white person. And it was at a gun shop. No, that's not true either. Oh, it it was a store doing kids toys. That's also wrong. And then he goes on to say there's a whole group of extreme people trying to erase history. Uh, And then says, I never thought I'd be president talking about book bans. He launches into an attack on Ron DeSantis. Now, this is one thing for the morons on Twitter to try to blame the shooting by this crazed lunatic at 22 who then took his own life on DeSantis. That's Twitter for you. But this is the president of the United States trying clearly to tie what happened there, that racist and madman violence, To Ron DeSantis, despite the fact that there is zero proof that this kid had read a single thing that Ron DeSantis had ever said in any news article, etc. It's quite a leap. It's irresponsible. And there he goes again.
3: Yeah, I mean, the whole book banning thing is very interesting because what Ron DeSantis was trying to do, along with Glenn Youngkin and others was in Virginia, was just simply not have a pornographic graphic novel type of literature that portrays transgender or gay sex uh, for minors have have that accessible and then not teach critical race theory which says that all things can be explained by racial bias And the people who are trying to ban books, that was the irony again. I mean, nobody on the right said, let's ban To Kill a Mockingbird. There's a lot of school districts that ban that. They ban Tom Sawyer. They ban a lot of Mark Twain's work because of the N-word, which is not used pejoratively, but just part of the dialogue of the time. So, again, it's that projection. And... uh, Joe Biden, you know, I I don't understand, Megan, I understand it, but it's so baffling that here we have Joe Biden, who made a career as a senator, pretty much demagoguing race when he said it was a jungle and against busing, that was fine, but he really demagogued it. And then he had the donut comment, then put you all back in chains, where he addressed a group of black professionals as if they were helpless and they needed him to keep them out of slavery. And then he said, "You ain't black." And then he said about black Barack Obama, "He's the first clean, articulate black candidate for presidency," which actually wasn't true. Shirley Chisholm ran; it was very impressive. And he just goes at it again and again. He's called, and during his presidency, he's called two aides: one guy in Louisiana, another one. I have a boy down here, and we got a good boy here. So. If there's anybody who's used racist or insensitive language, it's Joe Biden. And you can tr- tr- cite chapter and verse. But we, again, we
1: actually have some of that, Victor. We, we have yeah. a montage of some of the Joe Biden examples, which he gets a complete pass on as he sits he there attempting to lecture us about book bans and how the curriculum needs to be in Florida. Here is a bit of that in sop
0: It's awful hard as well to get Latinx. Vaccinated as well. Why? They're worried that they'll be vaccinated and deported. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. Unlike the African American community, with notable exceptions, the Latino community is an incredibly diverse community. Poor kids are just as bright and just as tall as white kids. You cannot oh go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African American yeah, who is articulate and bright and,
1: and, and clean. Oh, my God. I mean, just to <laughs> hear it that way, right out of the horse's mouth, it's stunning the examples we could go on that was not all of them as you pointed out in your preamble uh gets a complete pass and now he has the nerve to try to sit there and lecture us <laughs> I know on you know, know he's really upset about the DEI curriculum down in Florida I'm sure
3: Yeah I mean it's it's crazy I was uh going to a car lot, look at cars the other night, and pretty middle-class person was the salesman. One of them said to me just out of the blue, he didn't know who I was or anything, didn't know me. I was a stranger. And he just said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. He said, you teach? And I said, yeah. And he said, did we impeach a president of the United States for threatening to delay something and investigate the Bidens, but we didn't impeach biden so did we impeach the wrong guy for the same crimes that biden is committed. Right. And i said that that's brilliant i said that is absolutely brilliant Smart joe guy. biden didn't threaten to delay he threatened to cancel unless they fired victor shokin and he changed u.s foreign policy uh against the directives of a of a state department memo for his own i think luker and uh And then he went after his likely or at least the leading opponent in the next election that's exactly what we impeached donald trump for and i don't think trump was guilty of either either charge but biden surely would be if he we would apply the same standard
1: that's exactly right and and this whole thing that's happening yes with hunter uh but also with joe and their overseas business dealings is getting (laughs) more and more interesting. And you're exactly right. So John Solomon's been doing great reporting on what's happening with Hunter and Joe overseas and the firing of that Ukrainian prosecutor. The allegation being that and, you know, we've heard Joe Biden on camera bragging that he's the one who got Viktor Shokin, the Ukrainian prosecutor fired. Son of a bitch, they did it right. They did it. He threatened to withhold a billion dollars in aid unless they fired him and they fired him. Son of a bitch, they did. Um, Well, his defense to that, because his critics say you did that because Hunter was on the board of Burisma, Shokin was investigating Barisma, Burisma went to Hunter to say, help us out, get the old man off our back, like get the old man to get this prosecutor off our back. And that in December of 15, there was a phone call exactly about that, according to Devin Archer. But even prior to that, it seems clear that the Bidens knew Burisma would like Shokin and the Ukrainian corruption sniffing around them to go away. Um. Well, all along, it's been like, well, you know, the Europeans wanted Shokin gone. They didn't think he was doing a good enough job of investigating corruption. And, you know, our State Department wanted it, too. Well, that's actually not true. Now we see uh, this new information that the State Department was actually advocating. Mm. That it was actually saying that they were doing a good job, that Shokin was doing a good job Over there in Ukraine, (laughs) as early as September, like the summer leading up to the guys firing Mm -hmm. by Joe Biden, which is why you just said Joe Biden did it against the recommendations and desires of his own State Department at the time. And while all this goes down, Victor Shokin, the fired prosecutor, sits down with Brian Kilmeade. This is a great interview. Uh, at Fox News, this is via translator. You can hear Shokin's comments. But take a listen to what he said about what went down there in Sot6.
3: I do not want to deal in unproven facts. But my firm personal conviction is that, yes, this was the case. They were being bribed. The fact that Joe Biden gave away $1 billion in uh, U.S. Uh, Money in exchange for my dismissal, my firing. Isn't that alone a case of corruption?
1: Mm-hmm. So, what are we yeah. to make of that?
3: He, well, he hasn't. It was funny about that. I think he remarked that he was kind of bewildered that Fox asked him for an interview, that nobody had even dared to interview him all these years because people like John Kerry had promulgated this lie that the State Department had seen that he was corrupt and Joe was just carrying out a government directive. I think the paranoia though, was, well, there's only, two, we have high crimes and misdemeanors spelled out in the constitution, but we only have really two specificities and one is bribery and one is treason. And when you look at a classical definition of treason, it is go, uh, warping your national interest for your personal benefit, whether or the benefit of a foreign power. And if you could, if, he's impeached and they can prove that of all people, Joe Biden went against the national interest of the United States as reified by a state department official policy for his own benefit or the benefit of Hunter or the protection of his family, which was against the interest of the United States and bribery would be part of that. Then you have the two things outlined in the constitution he violated. And I think that's one reason why, they got together with the Europeans and created this false narrative that this poor guy was utterly corrupt and Joe Biden was just kind of formalizing what was official US policy. And that that lie, nobody that was any had any empirical sense believed, but we we were always shocked. I think I wrote that four years ago, along with a lot of other people. And you would get violently attacked. Oh, you don't you're not up on it. Victor Shokin was a crook. You don't know the Europeans wanted him gone. And that was all a lie.
1: So just to go through some of John Solomon's reporting at Just the News, uh, and I'm I'm trying to get the timeline correct. He says in June of 2015. There was a letter from Victoria Newland who was the state's lead state department's lead on Ukraine. She sent a letter to Victor Shokin this prosecutor on behalf of then Secretary of State John Kerry congratulating Victor Shokin <laughs> suggesting they were impressed with the job he was doing on corruption reform. That's June of 2015. Um Then September of 2015, the Interagency Policy Committee, which is a federal task force advising the White House on Ukraine, affirmed that Shokin's reform effort, this prosecutor, was advancing enough to warrant the new loan guarantee, the thing that they were after. Um, Then, okay, then we get to October of 2015, and a task force made up of state treasury and justice... Uh, had decided Ukraine and Shokin had made enough progress on anti-corruption reforms for Ukraine to receive a new $1 billion U.S. loan guarantee. Things are going swimmingly. That's between June and October (laughs) 2015. You're doing a great job on all the anti-corruption. Good for you. Keep going. And within one month, uh, this is Solomon reporting about a month later, Joe Biden and his top advisors did an about-face, a sudden about-face on contradictory to what the career staff had been recommending, and within a few months, demanded that he be fired. Now, they have not uncovered specific evidence that Hunter Biden specifically asked his father to take that action. They don't, of course, have a tape recording of Hunter saying, Dad, get this guy off of our backs. I'm on the board of this company. We can't have him breathing down our necks like this. But we do know, again, thanks to Devin Archer, Uh, that they did, that there was a conversation in December 2015. He said Hunter and Burisma executives called D.C. in December 2015, just days before Vice President Joe Biden traveled to Ukraine to ask the Obama administration to help get Shokin fired. Then Joe Biden went to Ukraine, made his threat, and by, I think it was March or June of the following year, 16, he was on camera bragging about getting Shokin fired. The plot thickens. It's getting very uncomfortable. And they they are like a hair away from actually having the smoking gun on this, Victor.
3: Yeah, they were. And I think if you look at the political landscape at that time, Hillary Clinton had shoved Biden to the side and she was going to be the nominee and from all practical consideration she was going to, you know, have win in the landslide over Donald Trump. And Joe Biden was thinking, I don't have a career to protect anymore, but I do have influence right now as vice president, and I better maximize it while I have my tenure. because. But he wasn't thinking, I have to be very careful, because I'm going to announce that I'm going to be a candidate for the presidency. And this stuff could come back to haunt me. So I think he was getting very reckless at this time. Kind of, he was kind of bitter that Hillary was... acclaimed as the nominee before he had even had a chance to consider it people were already at that time saying he was too old or he had cognitive challenges so i think he was really taking a lot of risk and being pretty explicit and i think that's going to come back to haunt him i don't know what we do with all this so megan when you when you we've talked about the cognitive problems of joe biden in a historical sense and then you look at this massive this is the most corrupt presidential family in history. And when you look at the actual record of what he's done to the United States on the economy, and as I said, the border on crime, on energy, Afghanistan pullout, saying that he wouldn't react to Ukraine if it was a minor offensive, or he wanted to get Zelensky out the first week, or if you're going to hack US uh, targets, would Putin please put some off limits? You put all that together, it is an utter catastrophe. And yet, There's no reaction from the media, there's no reaction from the Democratic Party. There was just Trump, Trump, Trump. And it's I've never seen anything like it. Mm, I really haven't seen such damage done to the country without any pushback.
1: If there's an actual impeachment against Joe Biden, they'll have no choice but to cover it. And honestly, given the parallels between the impeachment number one of Trump and what we're seeing here, the impeachment number one of Trump told us that it is an impeachable offense for a U.S. president to con- to condition assistance to Ukraine on his His belief that they need to further investigate corruption, which might in the Trump case have a political benefit to him. What the Biden story is that he is that he allegedly conditioned assistance to Ukraine on them getting rid of a prosecutor and that getting rid of that prosecutor would have provided a personal benefit to the Bidens. I mean, yes, it's worse than what Trump is accused of.
3: Much, much worse, because even then, when you go back and look at what Trump, the transcript of that call, Trump threatened to delay it. Biden said he was going to cancel it outright and they weren't going to get anything. And then when you look at the reality, Trump greenlighted the offensive weapons and in terms of javelins that were really important the first week of that war that biden and obama had not approved and so if it hadn't been for trump they wouldn't have had any javelins at the siege of kiev and so it's it's a lot worse what what biden did and
1: um they can't avoid it if if an impeachment this is of course for acts he allegedly took as vice president not as president there's a question hmm. about whether you can impeach somebody i mean i I don't think yes. there's nothing specifically saying the, the bad acts or the you know high crimes and misdemeanors must be done while the sitting president, while an elected official in this particular role. I'm going to have to go back and look at it, but it, that is a twist that it was. It happened while he was the sitting. But you got to remember,
3: they've destroyed, as you pointed out, they've destroyed all precedents because when they impeached. Donald Trump, they broke with custom and tradition of the Bill Clinton sense and the possible impeachment of Richard Nixon in the sense that they didn't have any special counsel specifically to go after. They just said, we're not going to investigate him. They didn't bring in witnesses. They didn't have a hearing. They took that thing in December and they just rushed it right through. And the idea was, well, we didn't work with Mueller, so we're going to work now and we're not going to have a special counsel. We're not going to have cross-examination of witnesses. We're not going to invest. We're just going to impeach him. The second thing they did with the second impeachment, they said, we don't really care that there's no legal precedent. We don't know what the law is, but we're going to try him after he's impeached as a private citizen, even though he's out of office uh, in the Senate. And It's what they always do. They create these new precedents with this arrogance in UBIS that's never going to come back and bite them. And it does. And so whether it's getting rid of the Senate filibuster and then whining about it, or The blue wall is so important, and we thank God for the Electoral College. Now it's a racist uh, hangover from the Jim Crow era. Whatever they find useful, then they institutionalize it. And then when other people say, okay, you set the precedent, we're going to use it, then they, like teenagers, they start weeping. And they've really destroyed the idea that impeachment was supposed to be pretty rare And not really directed, if you read the Fellows Papers, at a first-term president the moment he loses the majority in the House. And that's what we've done now. I think we're going to institutionalize that. If you're a president and you're controversial and you lose your majority or you don't have it your first term, you're probably going to be impeached. Yeah,
1: you better watch it. And here, you know, the timeline that's, that's being laid out. Is very damning. I mean, we'll we'll hear <laughs> what he has to say about it at some point, I imagine. But you know, you we've already gone through how the summer of 2015. They're doing a great job over there. The Ukrainian prosecutor's office is investigating corruption just fine. Uh, as recently as September, October, he's doing just fine. Shokin, yeah, good, good on him. You know, from Victoria Newland and others at State, he's going after it. And then um, you've got these details that. Then November 15 is when it seemed to change. A Ukrainian, a Ukraine desk officer at the State Department forwards Joe Biden's talking points for meetings with his upcoming meetings with Ukrainian leaders. Suddenly they see a new condition to fire. Viktor Shokin has been added to the requirements. This surprised the State Department. Uh, They had not seen that. Joe Biden goes to Ukraine in December of 15, and his talking points memo includes a requirement that Shokin must be fired. I refer you back to December 15 as when Devin Archer says Barisma executives and Hunter called D.C. to try to get Shokin off the back of Barisma, So now by December, his talking points memo, to the surprise that the State Department, has a condition that they have to fire Shokin. And even by January of 16, the White House seniors were not in the loop on Joe Biden's plan. Again, citing John Solomon's reporting uh, and the, just, the ne- just the news, uh, January 2016, Obama White House circulates a document on the loan guarantee to Ukraine That's identical to a previous conditions memo, and it makes no demand for Shokin's removal. They weren't pushing for it. Obama wasn't pushing for it. His senior executives and officials weren't. Joe Biden was pushing for it. And then he did it. And it was March 29th, 2016, that Shokin was fired. Two years later, Joe Biden's on camera saying this.
0: I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> got fired.
3: Yeah, we're really lucky that he, Joe Biden has this sense of pseudo mach, machismo because he's very insecure, so he always confesses to his crimes. I mean, it's kind of That comment... That he's the big he-man and he went over and he did this and he was son of a bitch and all that stuff. You remember he said he I think on two occasions he said he was gonna take Trump behind the gym and beat him up. And then there was the corn pop saga about he got some chains sawed off and he was gonna meet them. And then there was the story that somebody had insulted his sister. So he went to a lunch counter and slammed the guy's head on the thing. It's that whole narrative that he's he's Joe Biden from Scranton, tough guy, and this time it really did him in because it's in his own words, because he can't refrain from magnifying or exaggerating his his sense of self, and it really hurt him. Peter Schweitzer, I think, might have been the first person to really tell us about that clip when, and he he was really on that, that story very early.
1: Mm. Well, and now I was shocked when I saw. You've got the news sort of closing on Hunter Biden, on Joe Biden, the corruption scandal. I mean, you can just see it's it's getting tighter and tighter and it's getting more and more uncomfortable for them. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden continues to behave like he's some sort of a mob boss. He's reportedly out there in Malibu at some gazillion dollar mansion. Where is he getting the money from? What Hunter Biden, as far as I know, hasn't really been gainfully employed in a, a decade other than these monies. It was one of the subjects that was raised at the White House press briefing as Karine Jean-Pierre is finally back. Peter Doocy got into it on that and a couple of other subjects. But watch her trying to handle the Hunter Biden inquiries.
3: The Secret Service is paying $16,000 a month now to stage near Hunter Biden in Malibu. Who's paying for that? That's a question for the Secret Service. Okay. Hunter Biden is reportedly
2: selling art to pay for his $15,800 a month rent
3: in Malibu. How can you guarantee that people are not going to be buying this art to gain favor with the president?
0: That is a question for Hunter Biden and
3: his representatives. It's I know. I hear. I hear. I hear your art question. From the Biden administration, can you guarantee that there is no? Hear you, quid I hear your law?
2: question. I'm not going to get involved in this. But
3: we know that from a Hunter Biden associate now that he sold the appearance of access to then Vice President Biden. Are you confident that he has stopped doing that? That is a question for Hunter Biden. If, if somebody is selling the appearance of access that to
0: is,
2: the White House, that, that, is, that is a question is, for the White House. No, that is that is your. Um, but you're, I
1: don't
0: know how
3: you're perceiving That's nice. that. Uh,
1: <laughs> okay.
3: it's
1: all to, Everything for Hunter has nothing to do with Joe.
3: Yeah. I mean, you, what what Corinne Jean-Pierre is saying to us is that, how do you know that Hunter's not Picasso or Van Gogh and he has all this talent? How do you know that these people are not so impressed that they're willing to pay half of, you know, a million dollars for this beautiful art? And how do you know that it's just incidental or if at all, that they talked, I had access to the White House, that you're you're making that up, Peter. That's perfectly rational. He's got great talent. He's on the market. He's beating out all these professional artists. And everybody rents fifteen thousand dollars a month places at Malibu, just like everybody like is a senator and has only been in private life four years out of his entire life. And Joe Biden, he's got a big rental in Georgia. I think the Virginia is over fifteen thousand a month himself. He's got a beach house. And he's got a Wilmington mansion, three of them. And if we need some forensic tax accountants yeah. to just look at the amount of money that was spent or would have likely been spent, because it's probably not very hard to, there's not a lot of paper trail, then see where the income that he reported justified that.
1: Where did the money come from? And don't, don't tell know. me the people want the art. I mean, Abby, my assistant, her daughter Lillian started kindergarten today. Lily, I put her art up against Hunter Biden any day. Abs. Yes. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Right. Nobody. Absolutely. Nobody's offering Lillian half a million dollars for her. art. He only had
3: one talent. That's that he could paint with his mouth. That was all he could do. And that was even a cruel joke, given his cocaine habit. I'm
1: going to I'm going to go back on the YouTube show and lay in Hunter Biden's art on one half and Lillian's art on the other half. And the audience should. That'd
3: be a great idea. They
1: can make up their own minds. All right, And they can buy you can buy it for five hundred thousand if you'd like. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Stand by. Victor Davis Hanson stays with us for the full next hour. And remember, you can find Megan Kelly's show live on SiriusXM Triumph channel 111 every weekday at noon east in the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kelly. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over. Along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers, the IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Oh joy. Don't waive your rights and speak with them on your own. Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over $1 billion in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe $10,000 or $10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you're on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private, free consultation or visit TNUSA.com slash Megan. So, Victor, I didn't get your take. I've heard you say it on your show, but I didn't get your take yet today with us on the GOP presidential debate. We talked about the possibility of a Bernie Sanders throwing his hat in on the Dem side, maybe Gavin Newsom if Joe Biden withdraws. More and more, I'm starting to hear the name Glenn Youngkin on the Republican side as a possible white knight to come in and save the party. Uh, He's the guy who managed to get elected in what is now a blue Virginia. The suburban moms loved him. Big parental rights and education guy who somehow manages to bridge the divide between the hardcore MAGA and the suburban soccer moms. So (laughs) what do you make of that possibility and what did you think? Is it necessary based on what you saw with respect to this debate and then Trump's separate?
3: Yeah, I think it all hinges on the perception of Ron DeSantis. He's still the, the most viable alternative for those who want an alternative to Donald Trump. And I think in the first debate. He did pretty well, actually, when you actually look at the transcript and what he said, I think that there was a lot of criticisms when he hesitated and looked sideways at Whether And I don't know what the question really, it was whether do you think Donald Trump, if convicted, should be the nominee. And I don't know whether all of them looked confused. They thought, well, we're all here because we said we were going to endorse the nominees. So what's the question? Do we get an out if he's, I don't know. It wasn't really, the moderation wasn't good in that aspect. But I think he did a workmanlike and he's still very viable. But there's no doubt about it that the donor class feels that glenn youngkin is a happy warrior in the reaganesque tradition he smiles he's funny he's uh, and yet he's not sort of stereotyped in the bob dole mitt romney um john mccain bush rhino mold if i could use that term it's kind of unfair but in the sense that he's evangelical and he's a cultural conservative so they're anxious but to put their money on somebody like that, but they don't know what Juan DeSantis is going to do. And it looks like he's incrementally getting a little bit stronger, but at some point I think his team probably feels that he's got to accelerate uh, the performance and up it a little bit. As far as the other, I was really shocked. I don't know if you were, but I always thought that Mike Pence was maybe, you know, a very conservative, traditional guy, very polite, but I think that he had been advised, and maybe it was good advice because he got the most airtime, but he came across as really abrupt, interrupting. He was the only person that had to be advised by the moderators to tone it down and let other people speak. He kept fixating on himself, January 6th, what I did, what I did. And so I wasn't impressed with him. I wasn't impressed with Chris Christie. Everybody knew. My only surprise about Chris Christie, I thought he'd go after DeSantis more and he didn't. I think for a variety of reasons, they feel that Roswami is a better target right now, and that if they eliminate him, maybe they can consolidate a little bit around DeSantis, and then if DeSantis would, were to get the nomination, some of these candidates who were soft on him, I think, might feel that they were up for appointments. That's just speculation. Mm. Uh, but Raswami, I I know that he's the heartthrob of the younger generation, but some of the stuff he said that everybody here has bought off Um, and I've always been tough on China. That's not true. He had some investments in China. He's very well-spoken. He's a rhetorician. He's got a wonderful presentation, but I don't think by his own words, I think he said on one occasion that you shouldn't vote for someone without experience. He was probably right about that. I don't know why Asa Hutchinson is in there. I don't know why Bergen is it just clutters up the field. Their problem is they need to get down each debate. They need to start eliminating one or two candidates so we can really see in a one to one head off between candidates if there isn't an alternative to Trump. The other only, only thing that I think is important I don't see, I can see why Donald Trump stayed out of this. It made sense, but there is some polling that suggests, I think. Nate Silver has some that he lost a little bit of support because I don't know what the alternative venue, maybe you do, Megan, but I don't think you can keep giving Tucker like interviews 10 or 12 times at the night of the debate. Maybe you can substitute a rally or another interviewer, but at some point you've got to get back in the arena and he's a very good debater. So I'm not sure that that has a very long shelf life staying away. And then when he does get back, if he chooses to, He's going to have to endorse the nominee i mean that's going to really hurt him if he says well i'm going to go back but i'm not going to endorse the nominee but i was very angry in 2016 that nobody endorsed me on the stage when i won the nomination after we had all pledged to endorse the winner so there's a couple of speed bumps they need to address what is he going to do if he's not going to debate and if he does debate is he going to endorse the potential nominee or the the actual nominee but otherwise uh i thought nikki haley whose politics i think are a little bit 1990s uh did very well she was very well spoken she was fiery she was tough she battled it out i don't agree with her on some things on foreign policy, but i thought otherwise she was pretty impressive so she did very well and i thought uh DeSantis did as well as he needed to do. I think he helped himself somewhat. But if he keeps doing that, he's going to help himself somewhat, somewhat, somewhat. But at some point, he needs to help himself a lot. And yeah. so that that's pretty much my take.
1: That's right. You can't have a single a single a, at some point you got to score the run it's like you do you got
3: to hit a home run yeah. you really do
1: in his position in particular um i do think that if trump's numbers begin to fall after the next debate i think is september 27th with fox business and then there's a third in, i think it's alabama in october um if if his numbers fall In any meaningful way after those debates, he'll get in. He'll get back into the debates. He's not dumb. I I don't think he feels the need right now. But and plus, he's dealing with all these criminal things. So it's like he's got he's got stuff to focus on. I I just. We'll see. I, I do want to show this. This has been making the rounds online. And if you're not super online, good for you. You stay what you do. Keep doing what you're doing. But this was one benefit of being super online. And that is a young Vivek Ramaswamy, who I believe he must have been. I think it's 18. They said it's 20 years ago. He's 38. Um, at some sort of town hall questioning then presidential candidate Al Sharpton about <laughs> why he deserves Vivek's or anybody else's vote. Look and listen to this.
2: Of all the Democratic candidates out there, why should I vote for the one with the least political experience?
3: Well, you shouldn't, because I have the most political experience. (laughs) I got involved in the political uh, movement when I was 12 years old. And I've been involved in social policy for the last 30 years. So don't confuse people that have a job with political experience.
1: Well, there you go. So that's that's him expressing doubts about why one should vote for somebody who with the least political experience. Of course, Vivek sees it differently now.
3: Yeah, I think if you're going to be a third candidate, third party candidate, just to take an example, we usually it's eugene Debs or it's ross perot or it's donald trump they've carved out a pretty big presence in whatever particular field they were that transcended you know business or union organizing or something like that but in the case of or if they've been a a candidate without political experience they have like they have something going for ralph nader for example but in the case of roswami i've never i never had heard of him until he had started this campaign and i have a deep suspicion <laughs> pretty perhaps as presidential, about the whole silicon valley nexus the finance the banking the tech and these young people that make enormous amounts of money he's probably worth a half a billion dollars mostly but not always exclusively overseas with chinese connections so and yet So that makes it a little bit hard for me to see him as an experienced politico that is master of all the issues. And he's going to take on China and he's going to take on Silicon Valley, the type of things like Mark Zuckerberg, putting $419 million into the 2020 campaign. But he sounds great and he's combative and he livens things up. And it's just a question of whether that's a distraction, because I don't think he or Christie are going to get the nomination. And I uh and uh, when they battle it out between each other it just sort of sucks all the oxygen out
1: it's fireworks and tim
3: Scott. tim scott he didn't have the ability or the desire to break in uh to really help himself so if you're going to look at somebody from south carolina Nikki haley was more expert i think tim scott's problem is that he has a very impressive inspirational story but he has to translate his personal successes over endemic racism in the south of that generation into particular political positions that only he can advance and he hasn't done that yet yeah and he wasn't he wasn't a a stalwart in the senate he hasn't been the senate he was
1: asleep at the debate it was like you know the reason mike pence got the most airtime is because he kept injecting himself into the discussions which could could border on annoying but did get him the microphone and you know there's there's something to be learned from that if you're Tim Scott, who people just completely forgot about, including yours truly. All right, let me turn the page because I want to get back to this one particular thing on Joe Biden. Here's the reason why. Today, there's an excerpt in Politico of a book that's about to come out from a former Biden aide called The Last Politician. Um, it's called The Last Politician Inside Joe Biden's White House and the Struggle for America's Future. Sorry, by by The Atlantic Staff writer Franklin Foer, and um, there's a bit of a you know write-up on what to expect, an excerpt from these uh, books. Yeah, and and so the excerpt is in the Atlantic, but Politico is reporting that Biden aides have been scrambling to secure a copy. Uh, So if you want to read the excerpt, go to the Atlantic. In any event, it's all about the excerpt, the Afghanistan withdrawal, the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal. And they write things like this, Victor. For a man vaunted for his empathy, Biden could be detached, even icy, when confronted with the prospect of human suffering. I think we've seen plenty of that.
3: Since yeah, the time. I don't understand what he means. A man known for his empathy? I well, don't, I don't. I can't think of anything in his career that was an empathetic. It's always been narcissistic. I thought self-absorbed.
1: Well, here's some more. Then they write that back. So you know, we just had the two-year anniversary of. Losing 13 service personnel at the Abbey Gate explosion when we were precipitously withdrawing our troops and our civilians from Afghanistan. It was on Saturday, the two year mark. And um, this says this points out that during during the withdrawal, which was chaotic and so poorly managed that uh, Trump's ambassador to Afghanistan, John Bass, got a call begging him to go back to Afghanistan to take over the lead of the evacuation and to do it immediately because the current ambassador under Joe Biden, someone named Ross Wilson, was, quote, shattered by the experience of the past week and was not able to function at the level that was necessary to complete the job on his own. They go on to talk about how when the deputy secretary of state went to check in with members of a task force working on the evacuation, she found grizzled diplomats in tears These State Department employees who had been dealing with some of these Afghan translators and so on over many, many years felt shame and anger that came with the inability to help them. Uh, They couldn't deal with the trauma. They needed therapy dogs that might ease the staff's pain. All of this because of Joe Biden's orders and the way that this was handled. And yet, as you pointed out in a great piece dated August 21st at American Greatness, as you pointed out, here's Joe Biden talking about his history, our history, and how it's completely unblemished when it comes to our accomplishments. Listen.
0: Name me a single objective we've ever set out to accomplish that we've failed on. Name me one in all of our history. Not one. Wow.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I can't think of one thing, Afghanistan, the border his handling early on in the Ukraine war crime, as I said, energy, that he had any success. If he means, name one thing we didn't fulfill our objective, I don't think he really meant that. Meaning, did you give me a chance to screw things up? Yes, he did have a chance. So he screwed up the energy, was draining the Strategic Petroleum Reserve right before the election. He hasn't refilled it, et cetera, et cetera. So he's been a disaster. And uh, that thing about Afghanistan, I thought it was, it ranked with the 1975 evacuation of the Saigon Embassy when you saw those helicopters and they landed out on aircraft carriers and they were pushing planes, you know, brand new fighter jets off into the ocean to get room for these refugees and the boat people. I'm not sure that this was, this is the worst thing since Pearl Harbor, if you think about it. Here we were with variously reported 30 to $50 billion of equipment weapons munitions guns support and we just left it there at a time when we don't have a lot of stocks anyway because we're draining them for you know everything from shells to javelins for ukraine and that that stuff is not inert it's ending up in the international terrorist market we know that that the taliban is trying to fob it off or sell it on the international market and then we had not just these 13 people killed. Then we lied about the retaliatory strike that killed innocent civilians. Mark Milley said it was a just justified or just attack. It wasn't. And then in addition to that, there was rumors that Joe Biden wanted to get them out in this time frame because the 20th anniversary of 9-11 was coming up and maybe the 20th anniversary in October of being there. And he was going to claim that after 20 years of this slugfest, I got us out on the anniversary. And then in addition to that, The weirdest thing about it was, you know, at least the British imperialists, when they stopped suté or some type of practice in the Raj about, you know, the widow has to get on the funeral pyre and they stopped that or they stopped slavery or they tried to stop the caste system, they had the power to do that. But here we were at this moment of crisis and we had a, I think it was $400 million we'd invested in a gender studies program over 20 years at the University of Kabul. And then we had the pride flag that day flying from the U.S. embassy. There were George Floyd murals. So we were trying to force down the throat of a traditional Islamist society this woke narrative. But we were weak. And so we we ended up with the worst of both worlds, arrogance and weakness. And uh, it was just, a, I, I can't think of anything that's been more disastrous to the United States. And it had an absolute effect on the latest, the later uh, February invasion the next year into Afghanistan. Putin would have never gone in there mm-hmm. had we not embarrassed ourselves in Afghanistan. He was just convinced after the things that Joe Biden had said about Ukraine, you know, minor invasion, no response, and what we did. He thought, you know what, the United States, even if they wanted to, they couldn't. Look what they did in Afghanistan. We got out of Afghanistan. We understood that, but look how we got out. These people have humiliated themselves. They're just a paper tiger. And so he has, he bear, and Victor Shokin really, he also said that in a different way when he also in that interview had said that Joe Biden being compromised in the 2014 invasion of Crimea and the Donbass had not, had been very influential and no response whatsoever. And that had empowered, he said, Putin later on to take additional uh, risk. And we, of course, we remember the hot mic in soul where Barack Obama said if this was his last election and if Putin would give him space, then he would negotiate on on missile defense. Yeah. And of course, we forget that they both fulfilled the bargain. Uh, Putin then behaved until after Obama was elected in 2012. Mm-hmm. Then he went in 2014. And we did dismantle all of the missile defense initiatives in Poland and the Czech Republic, which would have been pretty handy now as a deterrent, for the for Eastern Europe, so it was a disaster.
1: You mentioned the southern border. Speaking of disasters, and there's there's been some updates on it, which it's getting interesting. This whole plan of bussing the migrants north and west is getting really interesting because I mean I think it's brilliant. DeSantis participated in it to some extent, but it's mostly been Greg Abbott. Uh, governor of Texas. And he's doing a great job. You know, these sanctuary cities up north and in in California who say, oh, what do you mean? California is a sanctuary state. Um, Now, Los Angeles uh, has voted to make itself a sanctuary city, New York City, sanctuary city. And now they are reaping what they sow because no sooner did Los Angeles declare itself a sanctuary city, then they had to come out. The L.A. mayor, Karen Bass, had to come out and say, well, well, you know, we're not we're not extending an invitation for people to come here because they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with the number of people coming in from Texas in New York. Just this past Sunday, there was a clash outside of Gracie Mansion. That's where the mayor lives uh, over the migrant situation in New York, where I am right now. More than 100 demonstrators here screaming, throwing punches at each other. Um, over these issues. And New York is overwhelmed. They've had about 100,000 migrants from the southern border flooding the five boroughs, forcing Mayor Adams, whose message, just like Karen Bass's of L.A., was very different before this happened. Um, Now he has to come up with at least 200 emergency shelters to house these people. We don't have the room. And New York City is now threatening to sue schools who put up any sort of a roadblock to these illegal migrant children because they're flooding the schools, they don't speak English, and so some of these districts who don't even have the desks, they don't have any place to put these kids, and they know. have no no ability to teach them. You're just supposed to suddenly speak Spanish, I guess. Um, have decided to, to start yeah, asking parents for proof of residence, right? Proof of yeah, you know, taxpayer I, I, and, and
3: New York I State live in a community that has thousands of illegal aliens that have been bused here, and welcome to the club if i had to go to to the local emergency room about two months ago and when you have people who you have no background knowledge of them you don't have no, no health records this is from a country that's forcing people to wear masks and social distance, and it's now talking about implementing that again with vaccinations, and they let 8 million people come in, and they bus them to communities like mine, and then you go in the emergency room, and, how, and how, what do you do with people who have no medical records? As I was talking to some of the staff, they have no medical records. They do not speak English. Some of them don't speak Spanish. They speak a, a mix Baja dialect. And then your grandmother is in you know kidney dialysis. She has regular appointments. suddenly, that's swarmed. If I walk on my farm or I talk to country people, they see people that they have no idea who they are. They're out shooting things. They're out parked in your orchard, injecting drugs, or whatever. But the point is, we let in if we let in eight million people, and just one percent of them, Were criminal. And I think there's more than that. You're talking about 80,000 people that have no background checks. And this was all fine and dandy for Joe Biden's world, you know, in his beach house or Hunter in Malibu or Nancy Pelosi in Napa Valley or Diane Einstein on Lake Tahoe shores where Biden is now staying with Tom Steyer. But it was okay. It was fine for them. But who cared about Bakersfield or Fresno? Or Modesto. That was just those people. And they had to deal with it. And they were racist if they objected. So finally, people got smart and said, you know, the whole key to the liberal project is that the architects are never subject to the consequences of their own Mm -hmm. politics or ideology. And now we're going to make them subject to that. And once they they feel what they're doing to other people, they squeal. And that's the only thing they understand. It's really kind of Neanderthal tactic, but they're Neanderthals. And that's what they that's what gets their attention.
1: I mean, California is finding out the hard way. It's the consequences of these bizarre policies. New York, too. (laughs) But on the subject of California, not only are we seeing the influx of these illegal migrants and the, you know, second guessing about the sanctuary city status of places like L.A., you know, no sooner do they vote for it than they realize it's a mistake. But you've got the crime. You've got the soft on crime prosecutors in places like L.A. and Oakland and elsewhere. And now we're seeing the smash and grabs increase where they are in USA Today just a couple days ago. They're reporting on how flash mob robberies are all over Los Angeles right now. Twelve thirty in the afternoon last Thursday, nine mass suspects ransacked a fragrance counter at Macy's right in the middle of the day in the Sherman Oaks neighborhood. Uh, People are just standing by and watching this happen. This this happens right after four other incidents at a Nordstrom just 12 miles away. On August 12th, you had 30 people entering Nordstrom at 4 o'clock, again, middle of the day, stealing high-end handbags, clothing, and other easily resold items. Over $300,000 stolen. August 8th, at least 30 suspects flooded a... Yves Saint Laurent's store in Glendale, stealing clothing, other merchandise worth approximately 300000 before fleeing on foot. Um, and then another targeted, a Macy's store in Arcadia, perfumes were stolen. I mean, it's, it's anarchy, Victor.
3: It is. It is. And... Notice what you said, handball. they're not stealing food, staples, of course, and we're told that they have a need, but they don't. They are They want the most high-priced items, and they feel there's no deterrence, and if you were to arrest them, it would be some type of illiberal crime, racism or something. And then what's even stranger about it, it affects everybody. When you go to a California drugstore now, it looks like a prison infirmary. Megan, you have this screen like a metal grate. For it used to be just antihistamines. It's everything from razor blades to tooth brushes. And then when you go to get a new car in California, they give you the the price on the sticker, but then they add $2,000 to $2,800. And that's for low jack or some type of thing that they've had to install on their cars in the car lot, because people are going into the car lot, stealing the catalytic converters, taking the car without consequences. So the dealers then put all of these anti-theft devices and they pass it on to the consumer. You have no choice. You have to pay that that fee and it's so it it affects everybody in california and now where it's uh, car insurance is going up uh how home insurance is going up it really is rippling through and destroying the state and what's the final irony is in, in san francisco particularly the smash and grab and uh the carjacking statistically to the degree they'll release information tends to be a lot overrepresented as black, uh, young black males. And they represent uh, the black community in California is about 3% of the population. They probably represent 1% of the entire demographic. And they may be, at least FBI crime statistics, suggest they may be responsible for 50% of the violent crime. I only mentioned that because we're also witnessing simultaneously in San Francisco, this repar- reparations committee yep. that is demanding from a state that was never a slave state, never had Jim Crow, $1 million plus, uh, from all California taxpayers facing almost a $45 billion deficit, it looks like. And yet there's no leadership among if I don't like the idea of a collective community that we're all black or all white or Latino. But if you go down that path and you say we're all black and we all need something, then you've taken by your own volition the reins of leadership collectively. So then you should at least say, and if I'm going to represent this community, then I'm going to talk about the the inordinate demographic that's committing violence against other communities and itself. But they have nothing. They don't say a word about that. That's right. And that's what's driving people really angry in California. And this is well aside from the idea that we have 13.3 income tax, highest in the nation, some of the highest sales taxes, our property assessments are so high. We have, I think we're number six in property taxes, highest gas taxes. And what do we get? 45th in school uh, test scores, 48th in infrastructure. We're blowing up four dams on the Klamath River. And they are going to lose clean hydroelectric power for 80,000 residents, recreation, flood control, drought uh, insurance. We're blowing them up because we feel indigenous people should try to reinduce salmon in a state that has no water, basically storage for 40 million people. Mm-hmm. If you could, I, I don't think they could do a better job if somebody started out and said, I want to destroy California and I need to do it in five years. What would I do? And what you would do was the last few years of Jerry Brown and the first years of, of the Gavin Newsom governorships.
1: Yeah. Well, I've got to end on this. Speaking of anarchy and people being fed up, uh, finally we're seeing some pushback both by the citizenry and by law enforcement to these environmental nutcases who continue to disrupt. Whether it's an art show or a beautiful museum, <laughs> spilling God knows what over beautiful art, to stopping traffic. Couple of examples that just happen to happen within the same few days. First, Burning Man out in Nevada. The uh they this group of environmentalists lined up along the road to get there. They threw their they had their signs. They had their bodies. They wouldn't let any cars get through. One hundred and fifty cars at least lined up. And the Nevada Rangers got there and said it's a no. <laughs> so they just no one got hurt. Now the, the environmentalists are I'm shocked. Can't believe what I saw. This is horrifying. We're just trying to protect Mother Earth. But you know what? F.A. And F.O., as they say, the, um, the 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 Rangers got there and said, yeah, you got to move on as these people are chanting, abolish capitalism. Um, And guess what happened? The traffic picked right up. Then in Washington, D.C., similar situation where people are trying to go to work or come home from, get to their kids. And um the furious commuters got stopped by environmentalist activists and had. A few things to say to them as they try to stop them from going to their jobs. Listen to this.
0: I want to walk. No! I want to walk. Oh I
2: want to go to walk. Don't grab the trophy. Put on the trophy. I want to huh? Tuffy, I go to, walk.
0: I, wanna go to, to walk. I got kids I to, go to walk. Get out, out of here. You, you. you don't give a you, a, you. a. you don't give a. You don't give a. a You're get, get, get the out of here. We got
2: to go to.
1: Yes. We got I to fine, what the Tell him, sister. Doing? That's how we all feel. Most of us do work yes. and we don't sit in the yeah. middle of the roads trying to cause chaos for the people yes. who are productive.
3: Very wealthy elite liberals uh, warring on the middle class and marginalized communities. That's what it's all about. Then those clips, all these wealthy, spoiled brat, uh, environmental protesters that don't have to work every day. And then finally, we get a revolt of working class people. And the left is always on the side of the elite now. It's very I- ironic.
1: Isn't it wonderful? I feel empowered. We ended on. I do, too. Day. I think
3: it's going to increase, too.
1: Good. The, you know, be, good. between the private citizens just getting up and saying, no, move along. You know, the, we we're. We're the ones who pay for everything, unlike you losers. And yeah, God I'm going to try. Them. I'm
3: going to try to write a sequel to that dying citizen, the alive citizen, or yeah. the breathing citizen. Yes, because yes. maybe maybe they're coming back. I
1: Resuscitated. Hope. Do it, uh, yes. Mr. Davis Hansen, Always a pleasure. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here.
3: Thank you for having me, Megan.
1: And when we come back, Alexa and Carlos Penavega are back. Big hit with the audience last time, and I'm sure they will be again. Stand by. Let's talk about relationships there is a common misconception that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones require both people to put in some time to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Learning positive coping skills, understanding how to set boundaries, and empowering yourself to be the best version of yourself. These are just a few of the broader benefits that therapy can provide. If you're considering therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's a convenient and flexible online platform designed to fit seamlessly into your schedule. With a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist. And the best part, you can switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. That's important. Not all therapists are created equal. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Megan today. To get 10% off your first month, that's betterhelp.com/slash Megan. Joining us now, two names with which you may be very familiar: Alexa and Carlos Penavega. Join me back on episode 357 in July of last year. Carlos is best known as a member of the band Big Time Rush and star of the Nickelodeon hit series of the same name. Alexa has been an actress since the age of 5 and got her big break as the star of The Spy Kids films. Despite a life in Hollywood they managed to keep faith at the center of their lives and their new book is Love is the Point. Love is the Point. 100 Days of God's Love for You and how to share it with those around you. It's a 100-day challenge to help everyone. Welcome back to the show, Alexa and Carlos. Great to have you.
2: Hey, hey, hey. Thank you for
1: having us yeah, back. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. I love this idea. Every time, You know, this time of year, you always get the 100 days to a fitter, skinnier you. This is something that actually is nurturing the whole you, reminding people not just of the importance of faith, but also connection in one's marriage, with one's friends, with one's community, the values of forgiveness, all this stuff that you guys live every day. So what was your inspo for this?
4: Um, Well, I think for us what we what we're seeing in the world is how self-focused everyone is um and while some of that is important obviously making sure that you're you know living the best that you can but we're so self-focused and we we've stopped serving And I feel like the point of all of us being on this earth is to work together, to communicate with each other, to be a community. Um, So we just really wanted to show people that serving each other doesn't just mean like sending money to people when they're in need, but it's actually showing up for them and being there for them and not just for people you know, but for complete strangers. Uh, So we just really wanted to challenge people and give them unique ways, biblical ways to serve each other. Well said,
1: babe. Come on. This is why I love love you, because you're the opposite, forgive me, of Kim Kardashian. You're the opposite. We just did a story about her going with her glam team to the DMV because her picture had to be absolutely perfect and well lit. You're the opposite of that. People need to get back to service of others. It's not all about you, yourself, how you look, your vanity. Yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah look, we all want to look good. Let's be real. It feels good when you look good. However, I think when you're so self-focused, that's a lot of times why people fall into depression. Um, We have a close friend, Andrew, which we talk about a lot in this book and in our last book. And um, he used to be really, really depressed. And one of the things that he said to us was, when I stopped being self-focused and really focused on just serving other people, my life became purposeful. I actually had meaning. And it's because you're not Looking in so much, you're just like I'm. Just gonna surf. I'm gonna you, God just use me how you want.
1: Mm-hmm. You guys have been thinking about this, I'm sure, lately because you split your time right between Florida and Maui. If I yeah. rem- and I mean, obviously Maui's been suffering mightily over the past month. What, I mean, how has that affected you guys? Man,
2: uh, well, we actually live in Lahaina. Um, oh, our, our our house was uh, thankfully spared, uh, but we went like two or three days after the fire. I had just finished tour and alexa and i left the kids with a friend and we raced, a, raced to race like everything out and see and it's wild because we always see these things happen on the news or on social media and we're on the outside of it right we're just watching it we're like wow this is crazy oh my gosh look look at this you know twitter post whatever it is or x uh and um this time you know it really hit home to go there and all the places that we fell in love with maui for you know that they're just gone and a lot of our friends lost their homes. Um, a lot of their This
4: was our community. Yeah. I mean, you know, we oh, live no. in Lahaina. This is and I think the craziest part is, you know, having our kids ask us about certain places and it just no longer being there and, and again seeing it in person, it's horrific. I know I know there are some people kind of covering it, but no one's even coming close to what's actually happening there. Oh
1: no. I mean they're they're talking about, you know, potentially hundreds of children. Yeah. Gone. Yeah.
4: Yeah. The answer is, yeah. And yeah. they're keeping it hush hush. And it's so disappointing.
1: Oh, my gosh. Can I ask you, I don't want you you to get political, but I I, I do wonder what your reaction was to seeing the president's remarks when he was out there. Um,
4: I think it was the same as everybody's. It was disgusted, really beyond disappointed. Um, not shocking, but beyond disappointed.
2: Yeah. I mean, you have to have to remember like these people lahaina is a historic town so you have generations after generations after generations of people who've lived there so some of our friends inherited this house from their dads 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 dad. so it's like you know like they their, their heart history. their soul their history is in this town so to come and just brush it off like it's oh you know it's like another house fire you know it's like no man this this is their life it's like is like if your life just caught on fire and just went away
1: so mm. you guys are safe now right you're in florida now but of course now we're looking at another natural disaster hitting florida but it's on yeah. you're no it's nowhere near you
4: no yeah we're, we're on the outskirts it's it's on the gulf and look we're okay and then the friends that we have on that side they're they're out of dodge as well but um no, it's just it's definitely been a crazy few weeks, but all the more reason that if anything, we're just like, man, we just gotta serve because yeah. community is so important. And and to go back to Lahaina, watching the community who has literally been stripped of everything, still show up for one another, still serve each other, to come from all different walks of life and really just be put in the same position and just be like, you know what? I'm just gonna show up however I can. Like it has been beautiful to watch absolutely heartbreaking mm. but in in a way like i wish more people could really see that firsthand because i think it would really change the way people live their lives yeah i
2: mean it it got to a place where they were like we don't need more supplies right now like please stop i've never i've never seen that in 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 any type of disaster like that where it's like please we we're good for the moment like take wow. a break but that's that's how the people of Maui are just Kind of all. all yeah,
1: no more supplies, but they definitely are going to need help rebuilding and getting their yeah, lives there. And, and, yeah. And listen, just a
2: little, a, a, a little plug for something that we got working, uh, uh, you know, going right now. So Alexa and I have been trying to figure out how to help the people of Maui. So many people contacting us. Um, And again, it's not about us. It's all about them. So we set up a website. Uh, it's called love is the point dot org. And we just were literally going. Uh, with like, people on the ground, and they're verifying all of these families who have different GoFundMes and Venmos. Uh, and we're you know, putting their story and you can literally just scroll and it's just it just keeps on going and going. So if you're curious, like what these families are going through love is the and you can literally help them directly with you know venmo or goFundMe and then we also have a nonprofit on there that is literally just going directly to all these people so if you want to make a big you know contribution oh, and want the tax benefits you could totally do that but literally our whole goal is how do we serve these people you know they lost everything and you know one thing that I'm trying to get is is cars for a lot of these people because yeah. they don't have a way to get around the island right. so I'm like man how do we how do we get some money so we can get them Nothing fancy, but just just so they can get from one side of the island to the other, because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars got you know burnt up and destroyed.
1: You know, so, so you guys are about servicing others and helping others yeah, think about 100%. that. Obviously, we talked about the faith both last time and in the intro. I mentioned it. I will say if, God forbid, something like this happened to any of us, the first place you would go is your faith. I mean, that would be the like to get you through it. The loss of a child, my God. the You know, your home, yeah. all your possessions, the things you you love and that you've built around your family to make your house a home, all those things. And it did, you know, recently we looked it up and it was, I think, only 13%. Is that what it is? Only 13% of people are now attending religious services regularly or once a week. Um, God is being pushed out of the public sphere time and like, day after day after day. The, the, all the emphasis is on removing faith from people's lives. Right. Just at the time when they need it most. Right. Given what's happening in our politics and our in our world.
4: Well, I just think how much easier is a world to control if they don't have faith? How much easier? How much easier is it to mold people if they don't have anything that's giving them a solid foundation? And so I just feel like, of course, media and people are going to be pushing No more faith in schools or or just taking faith wherever they can, taking it out because people are just way more moldable without it.
1: Mm, Gosh, it's so true. It's like I when I sit in church on Sundays, I think about how they're giving me an assist on imprinting the moral code I want imprinted on my children. Right. It's like you're not alone. You, you got this other you got an authority figure there at the front uh, behind the pulpit, reinforcing all the things ideally you've been saying at home. And that's helpful. It's helpful. To, like, I wish I had a teacher who was doing that, too. I guess if I went to Catholic school. Yeah, it's that constant reminder. You know, one thing that's really cool and, you know, people
4: always say that you can learn from kids and we have um, something that we like to do is we just pray in front of them all the time. That way they really understand, yeah. man, you can go to God for anything and for, you know, just for whatever reason i love it cuz i'll walk into the room and i'll hear my kids just talking to god whether they got a boo boo or whether they're just asking him for you know something even kind of silly but i just love that they feel that connection to be able to talk to him whenever they want and you know when all the stuff was going on with the fires i had a moment where i was just you know crying sitting on the floor and crying and my sweet little Kingston, he's only four. He just came up and he goes, mommy, may I pray for you? And he just started praying over me. And this is my four year old. So oh. it's really beautiful and you really get to live it out as a family. And they teach you as much as you teach them. And they are that constant reminder that God is right there. He's know, he's but what
1: about what's your advice, Carlos? You know, there are some guys out there right now who they have not found their Alexa. They feel lonely. They don't have a family. You know, and they they may be wondering how do they make this connection? Love is the point. How do they find this person? Right? Uh, I'm thinking of, of a friend of mine who watches the show a lot, who I know is not married and might like to be, but feels alone a lot, feels lonely. What? How does that person factor in? Love is the point into his life.
2: All right, this is going to be terrible. Alexa's going to look at me and go, what? So I recently had uh, um, a little binge of some really trashy, terrible TV. <laughs> Uh, on on netflix it's called too hot to handle i don't know how i got turned on to it but i was like i'm gonna watch this and i was on tours i was just kind of binging it and it's all about these couples who are these you know single people who just crave that sexual you know
4: sexual desire
2: yeah and they it's kind of hoping to kind of show them that there's way more than sex and i feel like when you are trying to court someone, which I hope people are still courting people because it's it's beautiful. Uh you you really gotta get to know them, like get to know their heart. Not, I mean, this is amazing and you're beautiful and awesome. But what I really, really love about her is her heart. And I and I think I think we we had so much time to just like like she played really hard to get. So we had mm-hmm. so much time of just like emotionally really playing. connecting emotionally and it changes things for you. So just take the time, take the time to actually like, to like learn who this person is, you know, whether whether it's just having a conversation and asking stupid questions like, you know, have you ever changed your favorite color? Was it blue and now it's pink? Why is it pink now? You know, like find out those little quirky details. It, like love is in the details. Mm. When, even oh, I we love
4: that. Met, when we first met, the biggest thing I felt like for you was you just, you gave up control. You were like, you know what, God, I want you to use me. I no longer, again, like, I don't want it to be about me. I just want to serve. And then it was literally that week that we met at Bible study. And it was like that week that your entire life transformed.
1: I love that. That love is in the details bit. I, I literally was just saying the other day, for the first time after 15 years of marriage, 17 years of my relationship with my husband, I noticed, I like actually observed and, you know, took note of his morning routine. Guys, it is literally three things: he brushes his teeth, he puts on deodorant, and he splashes water on his hair. He doesn't have a brush. Nothing. That's it. The three steps. I'm sorry, Alexa, but this is clearly not a woman. This is a man. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. It took me yep. 17 years to notice, but it is the the love is in the details. It's true. I yeah, I, was, 100%, I respect. hundred yeah. percent. It's so good. Yeah. All right. So that reminds me of something I read, of Alexa, you say and in the time we have left, I'll just go to the sex life question um, where you were saying, and this is a very good point. And as the mother of three Catholic kids, I wanted to ask you, Christian, correct Catholic, same business. Um, you were making the point that we raise these kids with like, well, sex, you know, you know kind of the messaging can be it's bad. And then you get into a right. marriage and suddenly it's good. And you admitted that you wrestled with that in your own marriage. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a great admission. So what? how have you resolved that? And what's your advice for other parents who are trying to message to their kids on this?
4: Um, there is this incredible podcast called Heaven, uh, Heaven in Your Home. It's by Francie Winslow. And she went through the same struggles. And for me, it's understanding that marriage is holy and sex is holy. God made it for us to enjoy and to love and to cherish. And our bodies are beautiful. And when I really understood that, I felt so much freedom and that's something that i want to instill in my kids in time obviously when the age is appropriate for them to understand that this is a godly thing it's not something to be ashamed
1: of mm. it's hard cuz you want to say like not 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 yet right you're little when you, once you you know grow up and yeah. you fall in love and then you want to sort of say and then get after it but then that's inappropriate right. everyone feels uncomfortable right right right, right. <laughs> in the right setting
4: it is absolutely everything it's supposed to be and that's why i always tell people i'm like for, you know, friends who were you know, in a relationship, but not yet married, they're like, we don't need to get married. I'm like, you don't understand. Once you get married, you unlock something so special that you didn't even read that you are missing marriage is holy and you will enter into like this beautiful spiritual place once you do get married
1: yes and that doesn't mean that every single act between you in the bedroom is necessarily holy but (laughs) 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 it's fine it's fine i gotta go you guys are the best i want to remind you the name of the book is love is the point and they need to support you uh the messaging is awesome what a 100 day program that we could all use lots of love you too Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope we do it again soon. Okay. Uh, And thanks to all of you for joining us today. Uh, Stephen Rinella is going to be here tomorrow. Now, he's got some great advice for raising outdoor kids in an indoor world and toughening your kids up in this crazy world that we're living in. I'm looking forward. I've never interviewed him, so I am looking forward to meeting him um, and uh, continuing to broadcast from Sirius XM headquarters. I'm here today. I'm here tomorrow getting ready for school, right? You guys know I had to come back from the beach because reality holiday's coming. Thankfully, our kids don't start until the day after Labor Day. I know a lot of you have your kids back already, and that's rough, but uh, you know how it is. Got to get the pencil cases going, and I'm sure you're all going through it as well. All right. In the meantime, see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.